0: Hello and welcome to Trek in Time, a podcast that follows Star Trek in order and in history. What we are going to be doing is taking a look at each episode of Star Trek in chronological order. That means that we're starting way back in Enterprise, which despite the fact that it was the last of the new Trek, (laughs) it was the first question mark of the new Trek. We're also going to be taking a look at how things were in the world when the episodes aired at the time of original broadcast. And we're going to be taking a deeper look at things either in the episodes or in the world. You're also going to be wondering, whose voice am I listening to? Who is talking into my ear holes, you're saying? (laughs) Well, that would be me, Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some stuff that includes some sci-fi and some picture books. And with me is my brother, Matthew. He's the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. You want to say hello, Matthew? Hello, Matthew. And knew he would be literal. (laughs) (laughs) We'll forgive him that. Don't forget, you can directly support the podcast. You can go to trekintime.show and you'll find a link there to be able to throw some latinum into our coffers i guess i, I could see say what for you did this there. episode i see yeah. what you did there <laughs> today's episode is going to be acquisition we'll get to that in a minute before we get into that matt do you have any
1: listener comments you wanted to share with us sure from the last episode which was the one about to paul getting um that mind meld she did not want a message a comment from the dude honestly i felt like the overall arc of the episode was interesting The speed of the episode was terribly slow, but I felt like it was made up for by the B story. I agree with that. Overall though, I really find it uncomfortable how they use the only non-human female who is essentially number two on the totem pole as a constant sexual object. And, uh, I could not agree more with that. If the sexualization of T'Pol has bothered me from the first episode of the show and just the, you know, they did that with seven of nine and Voyager yeah, but there were a lot of other female characters. Janeway was, of course, the the lead of the show. This is not that case. It's like mostly men, and then there's this one non-human, hypersexualized character. It, it's it's troublesome for me.
0: It stands out as being strangely archaic in its yeah. approach to women, and we've talked about that before, including. References as simple as, well, here in the future, almost thirty percent of our crew is made up of women. And yeah. really kind of like you couldn't even pretend that the politics of the future is better. You couldn't yeah. even <laughs> pretend that gender <laughs> equity is something that happens in the year twenty one fifty-two. Um so yeah, I do agree completely with the dude's take on that. The B storyline has a sensitivity to it that I think is a really nice storyline. And um it does do a good job of holding your interest and as you and I talked about in our review of that episode last time, it made for a jarring ending because yes. the A storyline's ending takes you out of enjoyment of the episode and then the B storyline is the wrapper. So you're like, oh, I'm supposed to care again. Uh, so it's a <laughs> little, little back and forth there. Yep. But today we're going to be talking about acquisition and Acquisition is the 19th episode of the first season of Enterprise. It aired originally on March 27th, 2002, and it really as I was running all this out, it occurred to me, holy cow, we're already at episode 19. Yeah. We're already into March, end of March viewing for the first season, which means we only have a few episodes left before we're heading into season 2 where we begin to see some fundamental shifts in what this show is about yes we are still very heavily steeped at this point Uh, as you can tell from the show notes this episode developed into a teleplay by maria and andre jacometan and it's from a story by rick berman and brandon braga most of these episodes have originated as stories from rick berman and brandon braga they wrote the show bible so Mm -hmm. they've pitched out all of these story ideas that other people have then converted into the teleplays and fleshed out into full episodes after 9-11 and then moving into season two the show goes through a fundamental shift that we'll see because the world that the episodes are taking place in these shows were written with a pre-9-11 vision of the world and season two is created in a very post 9-11 world. So it'll be interesting to see that shift. This episode was directed by James Whitmore Jr. And little side note, I find it interesting that James Whitmore Jr. is a director who sometimes puts himself into episodes. He is a recognizable face. If you Google James Whitmore Jr., I am convinced you will recognize him from shows such as Simon and Simon, Rockford Files, and interestingly enough, Quantum Leap. So Hmm. he was in Quantum Leap working with Scott Bakula and here he is now as a director. And I found it interesting that he didn't put himself into this episode because I thought he could have easily made himself one of the Ferengi, but he did not. This episode, as I mentioned, aired at the end of March and it earned 5.45 million viewers. Not great numbers considering what previous Star Trek shows were able to do. And the world that this landed in, it's a lot of the same what we've seen in previous episodes. The number one song is still, in the end, in the end by Linkin Park. (laughs) And the number one TV show with 25 million viewers was CSI. So we see that powerhouse, which was in its early days getting a very strong audience response. And the number one movie, we have another new number one movie this week. This one was Blade 2 with Wesley Snipes. And it earned $32 million at the box office. Another quick side note, there is no surprises. Guess who's making movies? That's right, it's Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) There's a new Blade on the horizon. And the new Blade movie is going to be directed by Bassam Tariq, who directed the film Mogul Mowgli. And Matt, you may remember previous discussions we've had where I f- have said to you, I find it interesting that Marvel's take on finding directors for their films seems to be to find intimate character driven dramas. Yes. Pluck those directors out and give them $70 million to make a superhero movie because they know how to tell a story about a character. Yes. And all the special effects and all the stuff that wraps around it is in a certain sense secondary to what marvel has been doing with a lot of their movies telling strong character stories this is another case of that i think where basam Tariq has demonstrated character-driven storytelling around mogul Mowgli, and he's going to be directing and i'm very excited about this mahesharala ali in the lead role who i think is going to be a terrific blade i'm really excited about that movie in the news When this episode aired from the New York Times, thousands were feared dead from an earthquake in Afghanistan. The accounting firm Anderson Head quit in an attempt to save the company. This is continuing fallout from the Enron scandal. And a post 9-11 New York saw failing mortgages soaring in the city as a result of not only destroyed ability to get back to some office space and apartment spaces but the overall tone in the city post 9-11 a lot of people just left there was a lot yep. of concern about an attack like that happening again and so it had a lot of economic fallout so for this episode acquisition matt do you want to give us a quick synopsis of
1: the episode in this episode a group of interstellar alien thieves knock out the enterprise crew and began looting the ship commander tucker is the only one left to stop them
0: What I like about that synopsis is that it's trying to be cutesy by not pointing out that these are Ferengi. Correct. It is just And this is also the
1: plot of Die Hard.
0: And it is the plot of Die Hard. (laughs) It could have just said synopsis, Die Hard with Ferengi. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And before we get into uh, the details of that, I wish that this episode had been more like Die Hard. Me too. And I wish that this episode had just embraced the fact that we've seen this story before we've seen other enterprise uh have a have a diehard episode there's the episode of with uh starship mine where picard has the exact same scenario yep. picard is the last person on the enterprise it is supposed to be undergoing some kind of cleaning and some thieves come in to steal some sort of fuel out of the enterprise. And it is Picard alone in a ship with a bunch of, of thieves. Um, and rather than go full on into showing Tucker as the confident guy who can figure out how to thwart the attempts of the Ferengi and, and save the crew, he just runs around in his underwear the entire episode. Well, most of it, yes. Most of it. But interesting choice. Finally get to sexualize somebody other than DePaul. <laughs> So the episode starts with the Enterprise drifting in space. It is; It looks, for all intents and purposes, it has clearly been knocked out of commission. And the crew is unconscious. We see alien cruiser come alongside and dock with it. We see two Ferengi, who turn out to be named Muck and Grish, come aboard wearing breathing filters. They walk around the ship a bit. You see all the different crew members who are passed out on the ground. They deactivate a gas-emitting device and they then take off their masks now it's clearly safe for them to breathe and the crew is asleep right off the bat i wanted to talk about is my deeper dive in this episode i wanted to get this out of the way early on casting choices this episode <laughs> yes, is <the> ferengi. <laughs> full of recognizable faces as the ferengi to the point where it is distracting Yes. For the first couple of minutes, it is Krem is played by Jeffrey Combs, who is, of course, he is Shran, the Andorian, who is a recurring character this season. So yep. the use of him as now this Ferengi. I do understand that what happens with casting and show production is you try to cut corners where you can it's going to be expensive to bring in a bunch of actors to audition for a part we've got a guy we know him we love him we use him that's he's fine. a good actor too I get it and he's a great yes. actor and yes. he does a great job with this character completely different from Fran and he's very different from shran and that's one of the things that jeffrey combs said about this character is that one of the things he was surprised that they asked him to play this character but he was excited to play him because he thought he was quote world away from shran so that's that's fine ethan phillips (laughs) you may remember him as one of the major characters on voyager (laughs) So here he is playing Ulus and he is the leader of the Ferengi in this episode where he is the person with supposedly not only the best business acumen and the best talent for making a profit, but he's got the biggest lobes. He's got the biggest lobes. He's got the biggest lobes and he's willing to go out there and take these risks such as knocking out a ship that they don't know the talents or abilities of this Crew. They've never met humans before. They just know they might have stuff that's worth stealing. So Neelix, of course, was a major character in Voyager. But this is not the first time that Ethan Phillips has played a Ferengi. Neither uh, it was also not the first time that Jeffrey Combs had played a Ferengi. But Ethan Phillips had played a Ferengi in the Next Generation episode Menage Trois, or Menage Troy. I guess I should pronounce
1: it, it Menage Troy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also among the Ferengi Invaders, Clint Howard. Oh, yeah. Ron Howard's brother, who back in the 90s, I believe it was the 90s, he was given a lifetime achievement award by the MTV uh, Movie Awards, which I thought was well deserved. He's a man with, in Hollywood circles, one of the longest active acting worker, uh, working actor histories for my little kid in Hollywood, including starring as. Bailok in the Corbomite Maneuver, which is one of the best episodes of the original series of Star Trek. He was, of course, probably four years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And finally, the fourth Ferengi is Matt Malloy, who plays Grish. And his most famous work is he was co-lead with Aaron Eckhart in the movie In the Company of Men, which is an excellent movie, but only watch it if you want to be depressed <laughs> it is a stark look at toxic masculinity and it is a
1: heavy watch so starting right away well before uh, yeah before we go on i just want to add to that crazy cast that you just brought up of distracting talent that you know them all so well that you can see right through the makeup and you're like oh neelix oh hey clint Haven't seen you in a while. It's, that was distracting. The other part of it for me was the fact that they're focusing on the Ferengi this entire episode. I don't know about you. I'm just going to give my little thoughts on this episode right up at the front. Uh, I found this irritating because the Ferengi are irritating and they're there for comic relief. And when you focus on the comic relief for an entire episode, it got so tiresome so fast with the oh god these guys are bumbling idiots and so stupid and it's you you can't tell me that the enterprise crew couldn't have outsmarted them faster than they actually ended up doing in this episode. So I was just a little it's like nails on a chalkboard after about 20 minutes I was like oh god make these Ferengi go away.
0: It's I think there are problems right from the the get go. Yeah. Um for me one of the issues is they managed to knock out the entire crew of enterprise. Yes with a canister device which is planted in something that is brought back from a moon and I'm not quite sure how on enterprise they're suggesting that the entire ships volume of air could have been affected by a single canister in one location, somehow contaminating the entire ship without anybody on the ship becoming aware of the fact that there was
1: a problem. There's no filtration systems?
0: There's no filtration systems. There's no (laughs) warnings. There's nobody at one end of a hallway who sees a bunch of people collapse and pass out and then manages to signal there's an alarm here. We've got a problem on Deck 5. People are passing out before they pass out. None of that happens. The entire ship is knocked out except for trip who in a nice tip of the hat to previous episodes he's in the decon chamber so he's in his underwear because he's in the decon uh, decontamination chamber and so he is in an isolated environment i thought that was actually that was cute to me that was clever Yes. yes but the fact that it was all precipitated upon a device that's been brought back in that way goes back to other episodes we've seen where we've Seen characters literally on the nose say oh maybe we should have a rule about this who brings back a thing from a moon that you don't know what it is you don't know what it might have you don't know what it might do and you bring it back and somebody opens it up yep it just the setup they're so intent on like let's just get to the story we're not going to worry about the logic of the setup You
1: you can't think about the
0: setup at all or it just falls apart right it becomes distracting again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I understand what you're saying about the Ferengi being comic relief and it becoming trying and wearing thin very quickly. Um, I had two responses to that. One was, okay, given what we know about the Ferengi, is this an opportunity to revise that subtly they're already doing a a bit of a retcon here Mm -hmm. because people will remember that the very first time that the Ferengi were ever introduced was in next generation in an episode where the Ferengi are depicted as practically cavemen yeah I did like the fact that in that episode of next generation the main weapon that the Ferengi appear to be using is a whip and that whip makes an appearance in this episode so that tie-in i thought okay that's 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 a nice little tip of the hat yeah um the ferengi very quickly turned from that first episode where they were introduced in next generation into a more civilized species very quickly in next generation including in episodes revolving around troy's mother uh and there's a episode in which it's revealed that Picard had made first contact with the Ferengi. And this episode in particular, they had to dance around the fact that in Star Trek lore, Picard is responsible for that first contact situation, which is revolves around the Stargazer incident. Mm-hmm. First contact does not go well. There is a battle and Picard manages to destroy a Ferengi vessel. By coming up with the Picard maneuver, which is all built, it's heavily steeped in mm-hmm. Star Wars or Star Trek, excuse me. So you can't ignore that. So having the Ferengi in this episode, they're tap dancing around that and they do a thing with this that just doesn't make any sense at the end of the episode. Archer never bothers to even ask these people, who are you? Yep they leave with nobody knowing what species this is. That makes zero sense. So I've got a big problem with that. The other thing is, okay, they've set up this scenario of right off the bat, the Ferengi come in and they are already in command of the Enterprise. They've already got the crew knocked out. And I don't know about you, Matt, but to me, it felt like a good portion of this episode was a three stooges yes it yes. was four ferengi slowly distrusting each other in a way that is intended to demonstrate like they don't work together as a team whereas the humans and to paul do work together as a team so they are able to outsmart the ferengi and save the day as far as a message or Mm -hmm. a plot device for the episode, I have no problem with that being your goal to show, oh, teamwork versus no teamwork wins. I get Mm -hmm. it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But other than the conversation between the Ferengi, not much happens. No. In this episode. People, Trip is running around in his underwear. He's, Waking people up when he can, he's having conversations when he can, but not a lot of actual stuff happens with the crew. It all is focused around the "Come on, you knucklehead!" and pointing the eyes. It's the slapstick comedy. It's the slapstick comedy, and and I found myself wishing that right at the beginning, instead of it being about like stepping aboard the Enterprise and they're already in charge, I would have appreciated going both a different direction and deeper into the Ferengi of it. I would have appreciated if the first act of this had been the Ferengi getting ready to go aboard the alien ship that they've knocked out.
1: Mm-hmm. I would
0: have appreciated if the first act had been showing them in some ways competent within their world showing the structure of what the rules of acquisition do for them as a crew. They have a mindset around the rules of acquisition and somehow Ferengi society works. Mm-hmm. Show it working well. Don't make it about comedy. If there is comedy, make it some side stuff, very subtle stuff between the interaction between, as we find out, the the main Ferengi, who is Ulis, played by Ethan Phillips, is the cousin of Jeffrey Combs' Ferengi, Krem. And he clearly is treating him the way that we're familiar with seeing quark treat his brother and his nephew on deep space nine they're subservient to him there's something within the ferengi hierarchy where referring to family relation is clearly done as a a form of uh respect so he's constantly referring to they're referring to each other as cousin it's clearly meant to be like i'm being i'm deferring to you i think a first act structured around them being on a ship they could refer very quickly to it looks like that weapon we bought worked with one shot we were able to knock out the the, the systems on this alien vessel we were able to knock out their systems and we were able we know that the crew has been uh knocked unconscious it's the weapon worked better than we could have hoped and it's them getting ready to go aboard this alien vessel and at the end of the first act we would have then had the reveal of the alien vessel they're talking about invading is the enterprise right get them aboard the enterprise you could still have trip in the decontamination chamber he has no idea what's going on because he's in a completely separate unit then when he comes out have it become more about trip as an individual demonstrating his abilities to figure out how to do things within the ship and connecting with various people and being able to wake them up and have conversations between the enterprise crew where they actually talk about
1: what their plan is yeah they never ever do that in this entire episode that drove me nuts it's like are they just telepathically letting each other know what their plan is because archer is like being really cagey about what they're doing and it's like why what why are you not talking to T'Pol and the? Uh and trip about what your your plan is here it's me, it's meant to keep us the viewer in the dark so at the end when this big twist comes together and I use that in gigantic air quotes the twist yeah um, it's there's nothing about this plot that I thought was sm- honestly smart interesting it was just I think you hit the nail on the head it's slapstick three stooges for 42 minutes and for me that was. About 40 minutes too many <laughs> yeah. of, of the style of storytelling that this episode was.
0: I think having a beginning with the Ferengi talking about their their mark a little bit would have been interesting yeah. too. Because the Ferengi have clearly been in space at this point for a while. They could be referring to, like, we've never seen this species before. Somebody could have concerns about what if they don't have what we hope they have. Hey, everybody has latinum. Everybody has gold. Everybody, like reveal a little bit more of the Ferengi take on what the universe is as opposed to relying on audience knowledge. Because let's say you are a viewer who's never seen any other Star Trek. You walk out of this episode, you don't even know what the Ferengi are called. True. This is a episode that at, it's like you've heard the phrase keeping your cards close to your vest or showing your hand. This episode practically is splitting the hand in half and showing half the hand and keeping the other half close to the vest the twist that Matthew refers to at the end is Archer and Paul and Tripp's plan to get the Ferengi into a part of the ship where they can be trapped and held the show doesn't hide the fact that that's their plan at all it goes out of its way to show them doing that but at no point does it show us how the three of them are coordinating any of that including having a moment where Archer and Paul, for the first time in the episode, see each other face to face. And he says to Paul, did it work? And she <laughs> says, even better than we could have expected. When did they talk? <laughs> how do they know what each other is thinking? What are they, how do they know what they are referring to in this moment? It is not very good writing.
1: No. To
0: get it through the plot, The Ferengi wake Captain Archer up and they demand to know where he keeps the valuables that are on the ship. At first, he is very clear and honest and we have nothing of value. You can take what you've got and you can go. I just want you to leave my crew alone. He changes his tune when he realizes that the Ferengi include the women of the ship as Mm -hmm. valuable to take. This is an element of Ferengi culture that has been revealed in the past. This is something that has come up again and again with the Ferengi about how they view females, that Ferengi females do not serve. They do not, they are not allowed basically any individual rights within society clothes. and they're not even allowed clothing. So that is something that is built into the ferengi of being a Ferengi. So I'm not going to call that out as part of the same sort of sexualization that we've seen in previous episodes. But it's Archer's desire to protect part of his crew and recognizing, oh, they're going to take those crew members with them. I can't allow that. He changes his tune and he pretends that there are in fact valuables somewhere in the ship. The Ferengi team splits themselves into two with Krem, Staying to work with Archer to load the valuables into the Ferengi craft, while the others are going to look for what they think is a vault somewhere. And Archer manages to spot Trip, who's hiding, and get word to him of there's a hypo spray. You can wake up crew members with that hypo spray. Tucker sprints off in his underwear to go find the hypo spray. He manages to wake up to Paul as soon as archer knows that trip is running loose in the ship and trip wakes up to paul they now have too many elements in the episode to really focus in on any of them and yes. make them interesting yes the they short changed them all <laughs> yeah the 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 ferengi team which I would argue should have the focus of the episode. They should have done far less with Archer. They should have done far less with with Tapal. It should have been much more around a run trip. Archer's role could have been in simply continually planting the seeds in Krem, which is, hey, they look down their noses at you. You should be getting more credit because you're such a, ha- a great guy. Like planting mm-hmm. that seed of descent could have been Archer's main role instead of they somehow portray it as archer is in control of the situation despite the fact that he is handcuffed through it all yes it really should have been trip being able to to do things to trick the ferengi at different turns he could have done anything set up a fake scanner signal that would have made them think that there was gold in a certain part of the ship distracted them by shutting down parts of the ship he doesn't do anything like that he's the engineer he, he could, could do anything on the ship. done anything. There's nothing that could have stopped ship. him. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, we've seen the diehard scenario in Star Trek before. We saw it in Starship Mind with Picard. That episode stands out as a really well-built story showing mm-hmm. Picard as, we know Picard is the hero. He comes in and immediately you're like, at the beginning of the episode, uh-oh, these guys don't know what they've done by trapping themselves on a ship with Picard. In this one, it feels like we aren't given the credit as an audience of being able to know much about Tripp's abilities, despite the fact that we know he's the chief engineer. Yep. And they don't give him the opportunity to actually be a hero. He literally is running around in his underwear for most of the episode. We've also seen the Ferengi so many times that they needed to give us more about the Ferengi and why the Ferengi were the key alien here because they aren't doing anything to really grow the Ferengi as a group of of aliens within the star trek universe.
1: Well look at just just look at the whole plot like where's the character development anywhere in here there's none. It's like you don't you you don't know more about trip at the end of this episode than you did when it started. You don't know more about archer than when it started. You don't know more about about T'Paul. And you sure as hell don't know anything about the Ferengi. So it's like, it, it like there's no character development. The plot is pretty much non-existent. It's, it's kind of ham-fisted. We've seen this done numerous times better. So for me, it's like, I, I come back to this episode was just a massive nothing burger. And if anything, I just found it irritating. By halfway through, I was like, can we please end this episode? Because this is just going nowhere fast. It's just spinning its wheels
0: in the end I found myself really wishing that there had been something here for the Ferengi to do that would have heightened the odds of actually endangering the crew. The Ferengi clearly threatening taking a portion of the crew is a terrible threat to the crew. But you never get the sense that that is actually going to happen. They're the The female crew members who are still unconscious remain in one place. They are lying on the floor. They are never put aboard the Ferengi vessel. So their being threatened with kidnap remains a future danger. Yep At no point did it feel like anybody other than Archer who is hit several times and threatened with a weapon is under direct danger and there was a missed opportunity in a scene where it's revealed that parts of the engine the warp engine have actually been removed Mm -hmm. and you have the crewman on the loose is the chief engineer and why couldn't this story have revolved around the Ferengir doing what they're doing and Trip figures out a way to lock off a part of the ship where the human crew is unconscious he can't wake them up because he's not a doctor he doesn't know what to do to wake them up but he does figure out a way to use some sort of distraction that makes the Ferengi think that something of value is one part of the ship when the Ferengi all go to that part of the ship he's able to lock off the other part of the ship permanently so that the human crew is now safe on this other side but then Trip discovers that with their monkeying around with the engine, they have destabilized something. And there is literally now a countdown to devastating explosion. I, I, I the like The engine where you're going being in a 30-minute yeah. countdown to, it will destabilize to the point where it will blow up. And the Ferengi are aware of this. So they are now saying, like, okay, we got 30 minutes to get off the ship before it blows up. They don't care. His job is now to not only stop them from getting away, but to get the part back from them and to put it back in place while stopping them from trying to do what they're trying to do, which is steal everything aboard the ship, possibly even taking crewmen with them. So an element of actual danger, a a sizzling uh, fuse going to the bomb would have given this episode A much greater sense of
1: stakes than what we had here the only timer that we had was the timer of the crew waking up right which was not a danger to the crew it's a danger to the Ferengi and we don't care about the Ferengi right and I also like where you're going because the whole setup and the closure of this episode if you think about it even for half a second you realize it's stupid so it's like the whole they knocked out the whole crew really if I you start we already talked about like you think that through it makes no sense and the ending, like you said, first contact's supposed to be Picard, but the way this episode ends is they basically have captured the Ferengi and they yes. force the Ferengi to load everything off their ship, get on the board of their ship and get out. And yet they don't find out their name, where they're from or anything like that. Where if you had done what you're talking about, where there's some kind of, the ship is in danger of exploding, that could have been enough to thwart what they were trying to do. Trip does something where it forces them to basically for them from their perspective, they're escaping. Right. So there's no, there's never an ending conversation where the Enterprise crew is truly in control of the Ferengi. And in that way, when they're gone, the Enterprise is like, who the hell were those guys? Because they showed up out of nowhere and they left just as fast. It's like, yeah. that would have solved the issue of the whole book. You Picard could have also,
0: I think it would thing. have been remarkable to have seen an ending to the storyline with the Ferengi with a, a rev, revelation of a rule of acquisition that might have demonstrated a willingness to sacrifice something that we've never seen from the Ferengi before which would be imagine if they have that moment as you just pointed out the tables are turned to the point where now they're trying to escape and what if they escaped aboard Enterprise's own escape pods they all crowd into an escape pod they jettison this thing and they're they managed to get out of the ship by being in an escape pod and then the closing moment of them watching the enterprise and their own ship disappear into the distance one of the Ferengi saying something like you're just going to leave our ship there and the chief Ferengi could have pulled out a device hit a button and revealed a rule of acquisition that says better to burn down your house than let it fall into the hands of a competitor and do something that effectively destroys their own ship so they This ship is now just a husk that doesn't yeah. have any information. The computers are fried. You could have had a closing scene where Trip and Archer are aboard the, the burnt-out remnants of this ship and have, to Paul say, we've looked in every possible conceivable place for any information about who these aliens were. They fried their own ship to the point where we can't determine even where the ship came from. Right, And left it at that so that the destabilizing force on the enterprise of the engine is broken they can't put in pursuit for this escape pod the escape pod gets away the Ferengi get away and as we've pointed out the anonymity of the Ferengi is maintained maintained. yeah so so once again Matt and I have worked very hard to rewrite Rewrite. the entire episode for (laughs) all of us yeah, my question to everybody who's listening, what could the Ferengi have done to have heightened the danger if not put the engine into some sort of self-destruct mode? What did you see as a potential threat that could have heightened the danger here? Or do you disagree with us and think, hey, this was a fun episode. You love seeing the the slapstick of the Ferengi and you thought that it was perfectly fine as a as a filler episode effectively between last week and next week let us know what you think before we sign off matt is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have going on what's coming up with you
1: uh just stay tuned to undecided with matt farrell on youtube i have a bunch of really fun episodes coming up that about everything from uh agrivoltaics which i think is a very interesting solar panel plus farming technology and uh journeying through time on inventions that uh were doomed to fail said to doom to fail before they actually became huge successes
0: So some fun episodes coming up as for me, please check out my website. It's SeanFarrell.com. You can find information about my books there. You can also go directly to Amazon Barnes and Noble or wherever you find your books and look for them there. As a reminder, please do visit trekintime.show. You can directly support the podcast there, or you can just keep using your ears and eyes as you currently are. You can subscribe through any podcast provider Or if you're on YouTube, you can follow us there. If you have any comments or corrections, please do reach out. You can find our contact information in the podcast notes. Or on YouTube, just scroll beneath the video showing our smiling faces and leave a comment below. Please do remember to subscribe, to like the episode, and to share it widely with friends and strangers. And to come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you later.